so some parts of inflation are sticky and some parts aren't. So electronic prices are, just expect car prices, house prices, uh, both used and new car prices, both used and new house prices to come down. Expect a lot electronics prices to come down. These are things that you're going to see the prices start coming down and um, notably over the next few months. Once more unto the breach, dear friend. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jeff and Jake McClure. And so we'll, we'll say other things like um, interesting and, on the other hand, throughout the hour, just to spice up our conversation, because we know... How fascinating we sound when we say interesting. <clears throat> so well, the big news, the big news for the week was the consumer price index. Yep. It was a big, big, big news. And we mentioned this in the newsletter. And if you don't take our newsletter, certainly you can contact us and we'll send it to you. But people look at the one year consumer price index report and say, that's inflation. No, not at all. Tells you what inflation did over the last 12 months. But in this particular case, and, it, and if it's moving, if, if inflation is changing very, very slowly, it has some accuracy. But in this particular case, the inflation it's reporting occurred six to nine months ago. And what we're seeing right now is not inflation. Let me explain why. The 12 month headline consumer price index number was 6.5%. So inflation is down to 6.5%, lower than it was before, but still absurdly high. Well, okay. The one month inflationary and in CPI change inflation rate in the United States was negative 0.3%. The two-month rate in the United States is negative 0.4%. Prices on average have been coming down now for three months. So the inflation rate is not currently 6.5%, despite the political and punditry that say it is. It's the current just, inflation rate yeah. is negative. If we look back a year, we're 6.5% above a year ago. However, all that gain took place nine months ago to a year ago. The biggest gains that took place were back in June of last year. Uh, June and, and March of last year were some really big gains. Well, let's think about that. What was, what was causing this? When we look at the inflation numbers, we had some very, very low inflation numbers of, in March of 2020. That's in the depths of the pandemic. We just announced we go into lockdown mode. Inflation actually fell through the floor at that point. We had deflation because we weren't buying a bunch of stuff that we normally bought. We didn't know what we were going to buy, but we weren't in a buying frenzy yet. The following two months is when we saw such phenomena as the toilet paper running out or runs on toilet paper or other jokes having to do with runs and toilet paper. Um, we started to see supply chain issues really cropping up in May and in June. And so prices started up. And those prices didn't come down for a while. Then coming forward to... Uh, 2021, supply chain issues were abundant. There were lockdowns happening sporadically all over the world still. 
we're starting to loosen up our lockdown in the United States. Stimulus checks are coming out to preserve our income when a lot of us got laid off. Unemployment checks were larger than usual. People weren't spending still. Prices were going up because it was really hard to get the things that we normally got, but most people didn't get those things. Most people weren't hoarding toilet paper, although a lot of people did. Most didn't. If you come a year out from that into June of 2022, when people are out and about and going back to work and back to shopping and back to buying things, but other parts of the world are still in lockdown, we couldn't get the things that we wanted, so we were willing to pay more for it. That's the definition of inflation. Come forward to now, and you hear people talking about cutting back. You see prices coming down at the pump. You see prices coming down at Target and at Walmart. They're still higher than they were a year ago. This is what we're seeing here. And so we've, we've come through this. That's the spectrum of inflation. And when you see a headline that says year over year, six and a half percent, we still feel it. But prices are actively coming down. And I just repeated what you said, but with some historical context. I, I think the looking at the timeline of what happened and why the prices spiked. And you can see another big price spike in, in March of 2022, right after the invasion of Ukraine, when oil prices jumped up and grain prices jumped up. Year over year, the grain and oat prices are down from a year ago. Steel prices are down from a year ago. So a lot of the commodity prices are leading the way in the downward move. And you said this at the beginning of last hour. If you watch oil and you see oil spike, then you're likely to see inflation spike three to four months later. And we're seeing that on the other end as well. As oil prices have come down, as commodity prices have come down, we're seeing the inflation prices or the inflation numbers coming down as well. We're still above what we were a year ago, two years ago, and three years ago. And some of the things are never going to return to those prices. Um, you know, what you pay to an electrician is unlikely to come back down to what we saw three years ago. What you pay in rent is unlikely to come back down, at least for a while, until we have more houses. Uh, so some parts of inflation are sticky, and some parts aren't. So electronic prices are, just expect car prices house prices, both used and new car prices, both used and new house prices to come down. Expect a lot electronics prices to come down. These are things that you're going to see the prices start coming down and um, notably over the next few months. Yep. I agree with you completely. Couldn't say it more. The other thing that is important to understand about inflation in this particular case, and I realize that this is politically unpopular, but I'm going to say it. It doesn't make any difference which side of the aisle you're blaming for inflation because of the stimulus bills. Both with, sides right. were behind them. But it doesn't make any difference which political party you're in or which side of the, the political spectrum you're on. The stimulus bills did not cause inflation. Uh, this is provable. I can say that with a great deal of, of accuracy, sincerity, and a lot of folks who are very smart who have been very accurate over the years backing yeah. up let, let, let me throw in hold on, hold on a second let me throw in a question how can that be we had stimulus and then we had inflation how can you say that this isn't caused by that 
Go ahead. Well, you know, I go home from work every evening and then it gets dark. Whoa. So my going home from work doesn't cause it to get dark. Wait a minute. That's the easiest way. If you go home every evening, what happens if you don't go home? It might not get dark. You're right. I need to try that out, but it would have to try it a lot. (laughs) Go ahead. But the point I wanted to make is everyone who has studied this, and there have been a lot of people take hard looks at this, about one-tenth of one percent of of the CPI may have been caused by the stimulus. Uh, it may not have been. We'd have to run an experiment where we had a pandemic with no stimulus. Actually, we did run an experiment where we had a pandemic with no stimulus and a pandemic with stimulus. So this is the The provability. Yeah, the the Europeans had no stimulus bills, and their inflation was worse than ours with the stimulus bill, and that's a pretty good indication that the stimulus packages did not cause inflation. Now, there was a difference between the two. Europe went into a pretty severe recession and, and is in one right now, uh, we didn't, and there is where the stimulus bills did make a big difference. We didn't go into a pretty severe recession, and they did go into a pretty severe recession. We went into a mild recession, came right back out of it, and they didn't. So the stimulus bills had an effect, and inflation was not one of those effects. Um, we like to we like to blame things, whichever party you're in, and I don't know who. Obviously, you're listening, and I can't see you or talk to you or find out which party. Whatever party you're in, I'm sure you're convinced that the people in the other party caused inflation. Or you may not be, but if you most, are, most people are. It's most not people true. Are. Uh, the Democrats <laughs> firmly believe that Trump caused inflation. The Republicans now. This is maybe the the vocal arm of the Democrats. The vocal arm of the Republicans firmly believe that Biden caused inflation. And if it makes you feel good to believe either one of those, don't don't let us take that good feeling away. You can continue to do that. We're not trying to challenge that belief. If it makes you feel good to blame the other person, it's probably not actually hurting the other person, so feel good. But the reality is that it's not either party that caused it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had inflation in Germany and in China and in Turkey and in Spain at the same time that we had our inflation here. So, but the consumer price index, and there's something interesting going on inside the consumer price index that I find very fascinating. The prices of goods, that stuff that you buy, has been dropping quite a lot. That's where we get the negative short-term numbers from, is the dropping of the prices of goods, stuff you buy, or, or in the vernacular stuff. For example, cars are down rather dramatically. Uh, over the last two months, for example, transportation as a whole has dropped 4.5%, which is a big chunk of what we do. Motor fuel is down 15.5% over the last two months. Uh, gasoline's down. Motor fuel in general includes diesel. Uh, so we have a lot of things. We have some things going down. Energy and, all, and everything else, if you leave out shelter, has been dropping. The price of services, on the other hand, continues to rise. Meat is down. Uh, eggs are up. Eggs are up for, sort of an, for a different reason. Avian flu. Right. We had a big avian flu outbreak, which caused a lot of chickens to die or be killed because they might have been infected. So our egg prices are way up. Going out to eat has cost costs 1% more now than it did two months ago on average in the United States. Why is that? Well, because if you look over at what the major expense is in a restaurant, it is the people who get paid to do the stuff in the restaurant, not the food. The cost of the food they're buying is going down, but the cost of labor is going up. Why is it going up? Because we have record low unemployment, 3.5%. That's as low as it's been 
ever. Um, we have uh, a lot of people who want to go out to eat because they're still surging from the because, pandemic time when they didn't. Because we have few unemployed people who like to actually go out and have someone else prepare the food for them when they've been working. Yes, that's true. So what we've got is a labor shortage in the United States. We And, and the Federal Reserve has stated very clearly, Chairman Powell has, has stated again and again, the issue is he's concerned about the fact that there's a high number of job openings in the United States and low number of people who are looking for work. Therefore, the supply and demand issue will cause the price of wages to continue to rise. Well, unfortunately or fortunately, he's wrong. Because the wage prices, the, the wages are not going up as fast as inflation right now, and they're slowing back down again. And what that means is it is different. Employers are hoarding employees. It takes as is the technological advances and everything else that's going on in our society have caused it to be more and more and more expensive to hire somebody and train them. Therefore, as business slows down or looks like it might slow down, employers are tending to hang on to their existing employees very carefully and not get rid of them any more than they would sell an expensive piece of machinery after they bought it. The reason is because it takes a long time to train an employee and it's really hard to get one once you lay one off to get another one. So they're tending to what's called employee hoard. This is causing some distortions in the numbers that the Federal Reserve is reading, which means it's different this time. And hopefully they will recognize it appears to be different this time and that the demand for labor is not as high as the numbers would indicate. We'll see. We'll hope that works out. And they, uh, the, pretty, it's pretty well assured at this point, although not certain, that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates another quarter point at the next meeting. Yeah, that's the message that they're kind of percolating out there. But what happens after that is is something we need to watch and see. If the if inflation continues to be month over month negative, and it continues to be negative, I can't imagine that they would continue to raise the interest rates in the face of a declining cost of living. Yeah. So on the on the uh, we'll CPI, see how that works out. when we're looking at the core numbers, we're not seeing consistent negatives. The core numbers are you take out food and energy because they're volatile and they may not have to do with interest rates or anything else. So you take them out. And this month, we had a 0.3% increase on the core side month to month. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we're not likely to raise interest rates drastically if we keep seeing those numbers, but it's not negative. So we're talking about the 25 to 2% range that is well within the, the Fed's um, target. If we see negatives and low numbers consistently, we don't expect the Fed to keep raising rates. Um, we think they're going to do it another quarter point because they're saying that. Uh, but and that's that's where we are right now is that we 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 said this actually back in October that we thought we were past peak inflation. Um, and it seems like that we've gotten that pretty dead on. And it isn't because we're prescient. We didn't have a crystal ball. We were looking at shipping. We were looking at uh, supply chains kind of unraveling and then getting re-raveled and untangled and. We have a lot of new supply chains out there. The networks are reforming and they're more redundant. Um, we're not having ships waiting off the coast of California to come in and, and unload. 
the way that the ports are being managed is changing. There's a great article in The Economist about a port in Singapore that I've been, I've been following this for years, but it's actually meeting the expectations that they had. So in Singapore, which is a city-state, it's an island city-state, um, how do they find space to put in a new port when they've, they've basically filled up their island already? Well, they're reclaiming land. What does that mean? It's not really reclaiming. It's claiming new land. They are making new land on the edge of their island um, to create a port. And the port is almost completely automated. And parts of the port are coming online for testing purposes already. What do you mean completely automated, Jake? Normally at a port, you have thousands of truck drivers that just are either coming into, out of the port, or work there every day. Because they've got to drive trucks for these big um, cranes to pick up the containers off the ship and put on the back of a truck. And then that truck either moves to a different place in the port to put it on a different ship or moves to the outflow area where the trucks are, are, are leaving to go somewhere else, or they take it to the railroad where the container is lifted off and put there. So there's thousands of drivers that are involved in this. And in Singapore, they're just flat vehicles that don't have a cab. These containers are being lifted by an unmanned crane to put the containers on an unmanned vehicle that takes it to other parts of the port to unmanned, put them on another ship. And this is the future. I mean, we've been talking about this being the future for a long time, but this is going to be implemented everywhere because the technology is being developed. And that's going to make our prices come back down again for many of these things. The, when I'm saying that there's, we had hundreds of ships sitting off the ports of California during the worst part of the supply chain issues. We don't have a waiting line anymore. So all of that stuff that we were saying at the time, these are the reasons why the prices are up. And then the final massive, it's not even just a piece of the puzzle, it's like three quarters of the puzzle, China's opening up again. They have a lot of uphill battle. There's going to be a lot of fatalities from COVID because they're not well vaccinated. They've got a lot of issues with their medical systems. They've got traveling for the uh, Lunar New Year happening over this, this period going forward for the next three or four weeks. All that being said, the factories are running again, which means that the uh, exports are moving back up into full drive again, which means prices are coming back down again. All of that's fitting together with, with what we would expect to see. It's not mysticism or weird uh, predictions about the future when you say, all right, what causes prices to go up? Well, a lack of supply. Well, the supply is picking back up. The, the reason why car prices have been just through the roof. They were a leading cause of the inflation that we felt with 20 and 30% increases in prices for used automobiles year over year for multiple years in a row, which means you might've started with a $10,000 used car. And then a year later, it was 14,000 
And then the year after that, people were willing to give you $20,000 for that car. It doubled in price. That's not abnormal for what we've seen, a doubling in price in used cars. Well, why was that? Well, because we didn't have enough computer chips to make the new cars. And now we've got an abundance of computer chips. Computer chip prices are down by 50% over the last 12 months because we're building more and more new facilities to make them. We recognize this was a supply chain issue that caused us not to be able to sell stuff profitably. Ford didn't like that. Tesla didn't like that. General Motors didn't like not being able to sell you cars when you wanted them. So they've done everything that they can think of to make it so that the things that stopped them from selling you stuff and making a profit are being removed from the picture. That's going to cause prices to come down. Automation is taking over in a lot of areas. We said this was going to happen almost three years ago with the depths of the pandemic, that this was going to inspire corporations to do things they'd never done before. Uh, we've just come through a big sea change in another area, and I think it's just as important as what we are seeing with interest rates, maybe more so. I think in 100 years, they may discuss the interest rates in a very esoteric fashion, but they're going to be pointing to the fact that we had direct instantaneous communication going on in ways that we couldn't have imagined in previous decades. And that was the, the seed to the growth that we're seeing. And I expect to see growth there. Uh, that was a very long-winded statement about what's happening right now. But it's very accurate. I completely agree with everything you said. There are a couple of other things going on in the economy. The manufacturing PMI. Boy, that's a geeky term, isn't it? Yes. The Purchasing Managers Index, and there's a couple of them that are out there. Uh, purchasing managers are good at forecasting what's coming down the road for the next six to eight months because companies have the purchase managers who buy the raw materials or the parts or whatever they need to make whatever it is they're going to make, and they don't do that until they get the orders. So when purchase managers start buying a lot of stuff, it means that we're going to have a lot of things happen in manufacturing down the road on the manufacturing side. Yeah, do you mind if I... Interestingly enough. Quick interject to that. So you don't buy the steel to build the building until somebody says they're going to build a building? Yep. Right. That's common sense. Purchasing managers generally buy the steel after they are confirmed that somebody's going to buy it from them. And even on the services side, the purchasing managers index is important because, uh, for instance, using the classical service business of a restaurant. Restaurants get a feel probably more quickly and more accurately than other people do for what's happening in their customer base. And when they sense that they're going to get more people coming in to buy steak, for example, they tell their purchase managers to arrange contracts to buy steaks down the road for the next several months. And that way they get them less expensively. So purchasing managers have a better view of what's coming down the road in many cases than the rest of us do. So a couple of companies go out there and do the purchasing managers index. The PMI, as it's called, for purchase for, for manufactured goods, is sitting around 48 right now. Now, what does that mean? Anything below 50 indicates that it's shrinking. In other words, they're buying less stuff than they've bought in the recent past. And so you have, in the manufacturing side of our economy right now, we have a deceleration. We have the amount of things that are likely to be made in the next several months declining. Is that bad? No. Why? 
because we had this huge surge coming out of the pandemic that was not sustainable. It was up in the 60s, way too much expansion. So one of the reasons prices went up and we had inflation is people were buying, people were buying a lot of stuff and it wasn't available. Then the industry started catching up and making a lot of stuff. And now people are coming back to something closer to normal buying procedures and the PMI is starting to decline. So this is not a bad thing that the PMI is coming down there. The problem, and this is one of the things the Federal Reserve is looking at, is the PMI over on the services side is still in the 60s. It's still too high. Uh, too high meaning it's not really sustainable to run at that level for a long period of time. Why is it so high? Well, first, there's a lag in it. And secondly, if you've been to a restaurant in the last several months, you'll notice they tend to be jammed. Although I have noticed something recently in the past few weeks. There is less crowding in restaurants now than there was, which means that is likely to come down in the near future too. What's the total story there? The total story is that the economy is slowing down to a sustainable rate. Now, how fast is it going? By, by slowing down, really what it, what's happened is we, we sped way, 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 way up. And if you slow down, think about this. If you slow down the rate of acceleration, you're still speeding up. In other cases, we're actually slowing down from the high degree of speed that so there's a lot of conflicting numbers. There are some places we're speeding up less quickly and some places we're slowing down. All right, now mm-hmm. back to you. So what we're doing is returning to a more sustainable normal rate. Why do I think we're in an unsustainable rate? Well, Moody's Analytics probably, at least in my experience, has had the best guesstimate uh, of where the GDP for the gross domestic product of the United States will come in for a quarter. The fourth quarter has not been reported yet by the Commerce Department. So we don't know what it is, their first, but it's only their first estimate when the Commerce Department comes out with it. They have at least three estimates and sometimes four uh, before they get it right. So it'll be distantly in the future before we know what happened in the fourth quarter, which gives us a real pain sometimes, but that's all right. They're suggesting, at least their estimate, according to Moody's Analytics, is that the annualized growth rate of the economy of the United States in the fourth quarter of last year will come in around 4.3%. That is amazingly high. 4.3% is faster than our economy can sustain. We simply can't make, we can't, we have, we have the largest economy in the world. Growing at 4.3% is just not something that can be sustained in an economy this size. We don't have the logistics. We don't have the systems to do that. Now, let me, let it's me going to come down from there. But, but yeah, what I wanted to point out just is this in, is not the behavior of a GDP that's approaching a recession. Right. You don't go from 4.3 to negative in a quarter or even in two quarters. The momentum created by a 4.3% annualized growth rate, it's a speed, in the fourth quarter would take at least three quarters and maybe four to, if, it were, if we were unwinding at a very high rate of speed, which we're not. There's no indication the economy is slowing down anywhere out there. It's actually, it, we're maybe growing less fast. So despite the fact that there are some statistical numbers out there that would indicate, like the inverted yield curve, that we may be approaching a recession, the underlying economy is saying exactly the opposite. And the question is, do we believe the tea leaves, the, the traditional indicators that we have a recession coming, or do we believe what the economy is actually doing to be the predictor of what it's going to do? And the answer is, it is different this time. We yeah. have we didn't have a pandemic when we looked at these things before. 
We didn't have an invasion of Ukraine when we looked at these things before. We weren't we sitting didn't have on China in a lockdown. Yeah, that stimulus money that we mentioned before. There's a lot of money still sitting in banks, and that's being spent down, but it's not being spent down as quickly as a lot of people estimated. That's what's sustaining us through this. Uh, so all of that put together, when you have massive savings. You have all of this, you know, the inverted yield curve, the normal things that say, hey, look ahead, we might be having a recession. It's, it's fascinating because the conflicting signals are coming together. We might have that, that mythical, not actually seen in the last five decades of a soft landing where the Federal Reserve might actually get what they wanted. That would be weird. That would be the difference this, this time concept of we've never actually had a federal reserve led soft landing we keep having it as a promise um it'd be kind of cool if it worked out this time it looks like they may actually be doing it how's that for weird <laughs> well it, it's it's something we can hope for now there, there's other factors to be considered here and one of them and it's not making the headlines outside of the it's not even making a headline in the wall street journal but it's there on the 19th of this month, the United States government will be forced to technically cease borrowing. Yeah. We will have hit the debt ceiling limit. That yeah, means to the degree that we are... Extraordinary measures. To the degree that we're paying, when, when, as, as Treasury securities that were issued in the past come due and we pay them, we can borrow that amount of money again, but we can't increase our borrowing. But our budget is higher than it was. It's been going up for a long, 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 long time. Republicans, when the Republicans control the Congress and the presidency, the during the during the Trump administration, the budget went up. When the Democrats controlled, the budget went up. It, it and there really isn't any significant difference between. As a matter of fact, if you want to look at the actual numbers, the Republicans increased spending more than the Democrats did, and I don't know that there's any significance to that other than the fact that it just happened. But it did happen. So here's the point that I want to make. There is a risk factor out there to the economy and to the market that's now in place. The republic, the, the same Republicans that caused the same group of about 20 Republicans that caused there to be multiple ballots for speaker, which, which hasn't happened in 100 years. Uh, some of them, and I don't know anyone speaking for the entire group, but at least some of them have said they're willing to shut the government down and default on the payment of treasuries, the payment of the just debts of the United States government, if they don't get their way. Now, whether they mean that or not, I don't know, but it's a risk factor. Why is it a risk factor? Because literally everything we do in the United States and in much of the world is based on a foundational belief that the United States will always pay its debts. If the, if the bill has been passed by Congress that orders the treasury to spend money, and the Treasury didn't get a tax bill associated with it to cause them to have to raise taxes to make that money, then the Treasury is forced to borrow money. And when they borrow money, it's because Congress, the law requires them to do so. The money needs required to be spent. If Congress were to stop that and say, no, the way we're going to cut our budget is if you're in your house and you have a high credit card bill and you say, the way we're going to cut our budget is we're not going to pay on our credit card or our mortgage. What would happen if you stopped paying your mortgage payments? Would it reduce your expenses and cut your budget? It would, but I don't think it would be a good thing. And that's the kind of situation that we potentially could face in the next six months. And it is something you want to worry about something. There's something to worry about. Yeah. If we hit the debt ceiling, this is a question we get a lot. 
we hit the debt ceiling and the U.S. Treasurer, the Secretary of Treasury says, uh, we're going into extraordinary measures. It sounds very British. Um, what does it mean? What is it that, well, how are they doing that? They can't borrow money, but we are now spending more money than we're making on revenue. Where's the money coming from? And the answer is interesting. Some of the obligations that the government has that they don't have to do that other people would, would be as an, in, as an interesting little uh, tidbit. When you've got um, treasury bonds held in federal employee retirement accounts, the TSP, um, so the, the bond positions in the TSP can be sold. The TSP is the Thrift Savings Program. It is the retirement plan that's not part of the pension system. It's like the equivalent of a 401k for federal employees. The U.S. government doesn't inform the TSP folks. They just say, hey, we're going to continue to pay you interest on this, but we're going to liquidate the bond itself uh, and use that money to uh, pay other things because we're not constitutionally obligated to put money in the pension system. How's that for weird? Um, they halt contributions to certain government pension funds other than the TSP. Uh, they suspend state and local government series securities. They uh, borrow money set aside for exchange rate fluctuations. What is that? Well, if we have international purchases required by the U.S. Treasury, there's a reserve set aside for if the dollar drops in value right before we need to buy the thing that we're obligated to buy. Well, it, we can dip into that reserve fund. None of them are permanent solutions. <laughs> if Congress said you need to spend more money than we received in tax revenue, and then Congress says, but you can't borrow more money, at some point something will break. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, there's at some point they can't spend more money than they've earned without borrowing the money, and Congress is the one that said spend it, uh, and Congress is also the one that says don't borrow it. It doesn't matter if Trump is president or Biden is president. It's still fault to Congress to do this correctly. Pay your obligations, dudes. Um, there you go. Um, don't obligate yourself if you're not going to pay it. And I know that this Congress is different than the last Congress, but this isn't the way. You, you don't go to a party at work um, and order a whole bunch of food at the restaurant and then leave and expect somebody else to pay it. That's not nice. But then the somebody else that's supposed to pay it for the party shouldn't not pay it either. Uh, both not nice. That second one is not nice to the restaurant who's already given you the food. The first not nice is just not nice to you in the same Congress. Yeah, there. That was my attempt at shaming Congress. I, I Somehow I don't think it worked. I don't think Congress is now weeping in guilt and misery and saying, you're right, we're ways the debt ceiling, Jake. You, you, you've convinced us that we're going to hurt the restaurant owner over there. Well, actually, it's a very important point here, and that is the vast, vast, vast majority of Republican congressmen would not fail to pay the just debts of the United States. But right. we're in an odd position. And it's, it, I'm, I don't have any question that the radicals and the Democrats would do the same thing if they were in the same position. But we're in a position right now where the Republicans have a 10-vote majority in the House of Representatives. That's all they have. And that means that 10 votes, 11 votes, can basically stop legislation. Because the Democrats are going to vote one way on something, and the Republicans are going to vote the other way on something. 
And if 11, if they don't get 11 more votes, neither one of them gets a majority. And if neither one of them gets a majority, then nothing passes. And that presumes none of them are sick for a given <laughs> vote. Uh, if, if, if you have a normal day in Congress, there's a, between five and eight people that aren't there be, due to illness. That's just normal because you've got more than 400 people all together. Of course, you're going to have some people that are sick. It's true at any business. And that means that the majority, if the Republicans are the sick ones that particular day, it's, there's not much of a majority. So this is generally good from an economics perspective in that we're probably not going to get any stupid laws passed during the next two years. But we're probably not going to get any good laws passed either. So there you go. We do need to have particularly budget laws passed every year. Otherwise, yeah. we don't we don't have any money. Yeah, we don't, literally actually, don't have any money. The government doesn't function. Yeah, it's not a good thing. <laughs> and one of the things that we get hit with is this threat that comes around almost seasonally, seasonally that we will not raise the budget ceiling if we don't get to see if we don't get our way on something and that is the threat to blow up the whole thing and we're about out of time this is the personal wealth coach with jeff and jake mcclure uh this is the personal wealth coach and we do make uh other statements than really bad puns about songs uh we are uh, a a finance program as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title the Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is and it's less disclosureable it takes less time to do if it's just the same name so we've been doing this program here uh on this in, on this station 1400 a.m in temple since 1996 we've been doing this a long time and we haven't been paid for it ever uh we also Man. have not ever paid for it so we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. 
Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management, and that's generally for people with higher net worths. But we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>